Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this weekend. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in every week and uh, following us. And uh, we, we are uh, grateful that you take time to join us. Let me say uh, uh, so that uh, you can get things you missed also that we do have a YouTube channel and that uh, we have also an iTunes podcast that hosts uh, this program. The iTunes does the uh, audio portion of it. But you can go to YouTube and uh, you can watch everything that we have aired to date there is, uh, is there for you to watch on demand. And you can go back and watch the series we did uh, that we're doing right now in the book of Hebrews to catch up with where we're at. Uh, you can also go back. We did a series on the book of Revelation that is being used in uh, a lot of churches even uh, on their Wednesday night meetings. So there's a lot of resources that are available for you there. And uh, you know, avail yourself to that because I think it'll be a blessing to you. Also want to mention too, because we are coming up on the uh, holiday season, the Christmas season, that we've written several books and they just make, I think, tremendous uh, stocking stuffers. You can give the gift of the Word of God to people, but the first book that I wrote is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, for anybody that's struggling to understand John's writings, uh, this, this book uh, kind of disarms a lot of fear, a lot of intimidations, and, and a lot of fear that people have had about the book of Revelation because we come at this from a completely different viewpoint than probably most do. We decided that if this book is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ, then it's probably going to be about Jesus. But we've preached everything but Jesus from this book. We've preached bugs as big as Volkswagens and Godzilla monsters coming up out the ocean. But this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And to the believer, uh, it is an ongoing revelation of Jesus Christ and God's redemptive plan. You'd be blessed to get this book. Uh, also, uh, this book, uh, the second book that I wrote is titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And uh, this book is from the viewpoint of Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And this book teaches you how to flow in your life from the posture and position of rest. It does not mean inactivity. It means while you rest, God does the work in you. You'd be blessed to get this or get this for someone who you know is struggling. The third book I wrote, and it just came out this year, is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And I think this book is one of the most important pieces of work that I have done to date. And why I believe that is because it marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is the government that governs us in the new covenant. In Matthew 3, uh, John the Baptist said, Repent, the kingdom is at hand, and repentance is not just what you turn from, but it's what you turn toward. There's a lot of people who've turned from law, but they've turned towards lasciviousness and lawlessness. But when your heart turns toward the Lord, then a new form of government comes in called the kingdom of God that operates through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit-governed life. That's a powerful book and I think one of the most important pieces of work I've done to date. You can get them by simply going to lenhouse.com. The prices are there on our website and um, you can also get them on Amazon. But the easiest way to simply go to our website and uh, uh, we will send it out to you by return mail. We're going to get back into the Word today. 
Hebrews, the fifth chapter, is where we are uh, now at. We're talking about the priesthood of Jesus. And I'm going to start again uh, with this segment because we uh, reviewed a little bit last week. And we're going to begin with chapter 5, verse 1. It said, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way, for, he, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, was strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. That's probably all the further I'm going to get today in this segment is dealing with that. But I want to go back to where he says that who, who uh, so Christ also, glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now, there's going to be several things that I want to touch about this, but if we go back, the first, actually this is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 2, and uh, this is, I believe, a Davidic psalm, but it says in this psalm, Why do the heathen rage of the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. I will declare the decree, Thou art, uh, I will declare the, the decree, The Lord has said to me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance, and the othermost part of the earth for thy, thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, all you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish while thou art in the way." For when his wrath is kindled, but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This is the place that he first of all begins to quote. He said to him, uh, I will declare the decree, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. This is a messianic psalm of powerful proportions. I love this because what he's declaring is, is that this priest... He said, you know, one of the things I love about this, he said, you know, uh, he, that the kings of the earth take counsel, and they rage, and the people rage, and the people rage, and they imagine vain things. But, and the rulers of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bands. Let's get rid of their influence. 
You know, one of the things that I want to emphasize a little bit in this segment is that, you know, we are really standing in an hour when the pendulum has begun to shift in our culture. And people are almost, you know, what's amazing to me is that the things that we once thought were good are now being called bad, and what we once thought were bad are almost celebrated. And it's almost as if it is a mocking place to mock uh, the things of God and the things uh, of what He's doing. But you know what? This goes on to say, they said the heathen will rage, and the people will imagine a vain thing, and the kings of the earth will take counsel together. And they will, they will say, you know, uh, to take against the Lord and against His anointed. And I think that includes Christ and Christ's body, the anointed ones. And they'll say, let us break their bands. Let's get rid of their influence. Let's get rid of their influence. Let's break the, the influence of the church. You know, one of the things I have been deeply concerned about in my travels in the last several uh, years has been uh, the lack of appreciation even for uh, the local church and the local gathering. And I understand, I mean, I, I, there are sides to this where people have been abused by local churches and people have been abused by uh, ministry that has taken advantage of them. But I'm going to tell you, there's something in my heart of a love for the community of faith. There's something about gathering with people of like precious faith and, and supporting one another. I think if there's ever been an hour you know, uh, even as we've seen the attacks on churches by, uh, you know, gunmen and different things like that, uh, you know, that can become an excuse for people not to come to the house of God. But I tell you, even more so now than ever, we need to get our children in the house of God. One of the things that, is, I mean, it was a staple to me growing up. And there were times when, you know, I thought, well, we went to church all the time. <laughs> and it seemed like it was, all, I mean, revival back in those days wasn't just a couple of days. It was every week. And it was night after night after night. And sometimes we look back and complain about that. But it's, look, it put something in my life that built me up to the man that I am today. I'm thankful for the influence that the church has had on my children and the moral responsibility that is put within them, not from legalism, but from the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that my children have uh, been able to hear the word that could, uh, you know, in the times when they're going through something, they know where to turn, know how to turn to something. You know, we live in a society today, and, th and this may sound critical, but it's more sports-minded than it is God-minded. We, we put everything first, and, and churches last. And, and, and so many times I've seen people, especially, you know, people with families, they come to church, and about the time their children reach a critical age when they really need to be in the house of God, they need to be in Sunday school and, and what have you, that they pull them out of the church and they quit going to church. And the first thing you know, several years later, they're heartbroken because now their children are a mess and their lives are a wreck and, and uh, uh, they have no point of reference to be able to uh, turn to God. I was, I was just at a place not long ago. And... Uh, it was after a Sunday morning service. I won't say where so that I don't embarrass anybody. But we were in this service, and we came out of the Sunday morning service, and the pastor's son uh, came in with one of his work buddies. And uh, this man sat down at the table, and it was myself and the pastor and another pastor sitting there. And we began to have conversation about the things of God. We were talking about the miraculous and the uh, man, the demonstration of the power of God and the things of people who are being healed and and so forth like that. And this guy says to me, man, I don't know what I'm feeling, but he said, 
the hair just raises up on my arm. And the pastor said, well, you're feeling the Holy Spirit. And this guy says, well, what do you mean Holy Ghost? He, he thought we were talking about some ghost. And uh, this guy had no idea. I mean, he'd heard about God, but he had no idea about the Word of God. Had no idea that God was actively involved in the lives of people as a high priest that could actually be touched with the feelings of your infirmity. And as I left that place, I'm thinking, as I'm, even as we were trying to explain some things to this man, uh, I, I realized how sometimes we were even trying to explain to him in our Christianese language. And it was stuff that was just foreign to this guy. And it, all of a sudden I thought to myself, here we are in a great country with people who have never heard the gospel or never been in a church. And to me, that's tragic. And so, you know, right now, I think there has been somewhat of an attack on the local church. I mean, number one, finances have dropped off drastically. And even in grace churches, it's almost as if, you know, we've taught the point that you're not up under law any longer and God's not going to curse you if you don't tithe. But there are still blessings to sowing and reaping. And, you know, when you sow, you reap. And if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap. That, that remains, seed time and harvest remains as long as the earth remains. The scripture talks about he gives seed to the sower. That's the grace aspect of it. And what you do with the seed, that's up to you. Now, I'd rather sow some of it because I've seen it work personally as far as the blessing of God and the provision coming. It's like the farmer out here. God loves uh, the, the guy who, who does not plant a field full of corn. He loves that guy just as much as he loves that farmer planting corn. But the guy who didn't plant any corn is not going to get any corn unless the farmer decides he's going to give him some. And I'm simply saying, you know, what you don't support. Here, let me just cut through all the doctrinal fat. What you don't support goes away. Whether it's your local baseball team, whether it is your local church, whether it is our television ministry. What you don't support goes away. It has to have support. And I, I, I think so many times we sit back waiting for somebody else to do it. But what I'm simply do, saying today is I encourage you to get up and take your family to church. You say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take them to church. I can't find one who believes exactly like I do. Well, uh, you know, first of all, uh, you're never going to find a church that believes exactly like you do. But you don't have to believe everything that's taught. You say, well, I don't want my children to learn stuff that's, uh, you know, that... But at least they've learning, you know, if you don't have anything in them, there's no point of reference to even be able to unlearn it later on, if you will. And I'm not saying that we ought to take them to some place that's going to beat you up or legalistic constantly, but get some place where it's in the Word of nothing else. Get in your living room with your family and pray with them. Share a scripture or two and have fellowship. Because, you know, I'm not even opposed to, you know, say, well, I don't have a local church. We go to a home group. Well, I think that's wonderful. But at least there's a gathering and a place where there is support and ministry uh, that you can uh, connect to. Because what he's talking here in Psalm 2, he says, you know, uh, the kings of the earth have taken counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands. Let us cast asunder their cords from us. Let's get rid of the influence of the anointed ones of Christ. And whether it is in our schools where we've taken prayer out of the schools or, or our influence of God, we are reaping some of that in our society today. But I, I, I believe the answer is still Jesus. I believe the answer is still the kingdom of God. Because I love this. He goes on to say, but he that sits in the heavens is going to laugh. He's going to have them in derision. For yet have I set my king 
on my holy hill, declare the decree, today you are my son. Uh, to this day have I begotten thee. That's the quote from Hebrews 5. When he declares him to be a priest, what he's saying is, there is a man in the throne with a ministry. And that ministry is flowing from a mercy seat. And it is standing with its hand outreached to remedy the problem of the human condition. Now see, uh, when I, I said a few things there a few moments ago, probably some of you kicked into that old mindset of, see, God's about to judge some stuff. Listen, or God's about to judge America. Listen, this is not, it's not God judging America. It's Americans destroying America. And it is sometimes, of course, the repercussions of our own choices and our own actions that bring us into these kinds of situations. But the good news is, if there's a man in the throne with a ministry, and his name is Jesus, and he's a faithful high priest who can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. And when you get, uh, you know, when, 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 when you allow him uh, to, to uh, minister to you and to your family, uh, there's just such a release of the flow of heaven. He's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Another place uh, he goes on to say uh, in Acts 13, let me take you to Acts 13 because he quotes this again in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. And I think it's pretty powerful here what he does in Acts 13. This is actually a discourse on uh, a lot of the stuff that Jesus did in his redemptive work, and Paul was standing up talking to them about the work of Christ. But let me just kind of skip down here. Verse number 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Out of the loins of David he raised up a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and I'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but he that are, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I'm not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that they, he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses uh, unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, the promise that was made unto the fathers, watch this, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he has raised Jesus uh, Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So he's talking about the moment he gave him his priesthood uh, was, was two things. Uh, when, whenever he talks about him crossing up here with John the Baptist, uh, uh, saying, I'm not worthy to loose his shoes, when he declared him to be a son. I'll get into that probably either in the next segment or in this one. But he raised him from the dead, 
And when he did of this, he said of him in the second psalm. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. This priesthood is a ministry that flows from a royal priesthood, a king and a priest. So he not only has the ability to intercede and make intercession, but he has royal power to release the authority and declaration and decrees to set some things in motion in the earth. And he did that when he raised him from the dead. And it's concerning that he raised him up from the dead now to return no more to corruption. He said on this wise, I'll give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on his sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that though this man is preached unto you through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all that believe are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore lest, they, lest that come upon you that which is spoken of in the prophets. So he begins to tell you that this high priest is better than Levi because one of the things he does that Levi couldn't do is justify you because of the resurrection of the dead. He could justify you from things that you couldn't be justified of under the law of Moses. He was delivered for your offenses, but he was raised for your ju justification. And then he was declared not only to be a priest, but a king with dominion, to whom God declares in these Psalms and in these scriptures that all the kings of the earth, he will have them in derision, because yet have I set my king you voted yours in, but I set my king. God set this king. You can't vote him in. You can't vote him out. He's king, and he will exercise dominion from this king-priest ministry after the order of Melchizedek, where unto him every knee will bow, every tongue will swear that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he goes on to tell them, listen, not only was he raised from the dead, but because he was raised from the dead, we can preach to you the forgiveness of sin through this man. Those are powerful concepts. That's what this book of Hebrews is saying. That's one of the most powerful things I think that we could preach and declare in the New Covenant is there's a place not just for judgment and condemnation and stoning people to death and rejecting them and on and on it goes. There's a place for forgiveness because this man was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. I don't care how bad it is. You can come to this high priest and you could be touched with the feeling of his infirmity. Uh, I don't know if i got enough time to kind of get into this or not, but I would say simply, again, the other time that he says to him, Thou art my son, is when he comes up, listen, John the Baptist is John the Baptist in Matthew 3. This book here has a lot in there about that, uh, from law to grace, a kingdom paradigm shift. But when, when John the Baptist walked down into the river Jordan, he tells, he points, he says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus is walking down, John the Baptist looks up and he says, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, suffer to be so now, for we must fulfill all righteousness. And I'm thinking to myself, fulfill all righteousness. Did Jesus need to be baptized for the remission of his sins? I, I don't think so. So there had to be something bigger going on here. And then I began to look in the book of Leviticus, and I found that every time you would inaugurate 
a priest, you would have to wash that priest in running water. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize something here. Here's John the Baptist, who is the son of Zechariah. Zechariah is a Levitical priest. His mother Elizabeth is also the daughter of a priest. So she, he's got Levitical uh, 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 priesthood on both sides of his family. That would make him the heir apparent to become the high priest of Israel. John the Baptist, that would have been, he would, would have been at least considered to become a high priest, and at very least a Levitical priest. But when Jesus walks down in the bank of the Jordan River to fulfill all righteousness, I started thinking, this is John the Baptist in the Jordan River inaugurating Jesus as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because here's John the Baptist who is literally saying, he must increase and I must decrease. And John the Baptist, what he's doing is relinquishing his Levitical priesthood to Jesus, who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the writer of the book of Hebrews comes along and says, if there is a change of priesthood, there must of necessity be a change of law. That's what the book of Hebrews is about, is shifting from law to grace. Man, that's powerful stuff right there. And Jesus was becoming, what, and then and the moment that Jesus comes up out of the water, His Father said, this is my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased. What did Hebrews say, chapter 5? That without an oath, he was not called a priest. But he said to him, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. When Jesus comes up out of the Jordan River, the Father says, That's my son, in whom I am well pleased. I submit to you that that's one of the moments when God declared he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and Jesus then begins His earthly ministry as He comes up out of the wilderness in the next chapter and begins to release the signs and the wonders and the miracles that demonstrated that the kingdom of God was within their grasp. It was within their reach, and He was literally demonstrating His ministry as a priest and a king who not only had ability to, to be to God for the people and to be to the people for God, but also to be a king after the son of David who could release and minister with kingdom authority in the earth, the kingdom business. For where the word of a king is, there is power. You and I are not serving an absentee Jesus. There's a king on the throne right now. There is a man in the throne with a ministry who's got authority and power, not only in heaven, but also in earth and under the earth to minister from a mercy seat and not from a judgment seat. I trust that encourages you about to run out of time today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, take a moment to uh, go to our website or call the number on the screen and sow as generous of a seed as you can into the ministry as it helps us to take the gospel around the world. Without you, it is absolutely impossible to do that. We really could use your help and your partnership. If you'd like to just go to our website, you can even go there and just set up a monthly debit if you, or a one-time gift, any way you want to do it, or you can simply send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. Please tell your friends about us and join in every week. Help us get the word about, out about the program. And I be, you'll be blessed as you continue to follow us through these days as we're teaching on the book of Hebrews. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.